Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. Good morning, everyone. You guys need to stand up and stretch for a second? Everybody stretch. <laughs> Good morning. All right. It's good to see you today on this uh, overcast day, but we're going to get into the Word and hopefully it'll be a blessing to us and wake us up and be ready to um, grow into the kind of people God wants us to be. When I was in school, my favorite teacher was any teacher who would assign at the beginning of the class, uh, the semester so to speak, a research project to every member of the class. So all the students would then have to present that. And the reason I really liked that really at the time was not because I was eager to research some topic and give some presentation or I had some excitement about learning from my peers in class. The reason I was probably so excited was that half of the class would be consumed with student presentations and the teacher would typically grade us a little bit lighter because they weren't as good. And I knew, man, if half my class was given presentations and bumbling through material... Maybe it would just burn up some of the class and the teacher wouldn't test me so hard. So I really liked that. But I didn't like it when it came time for me to present to the class. It wasn't because I was uh, uncomfortable speaking in public. It was because I was typically uneasy at the fact that I was not an expert in presenting the information that I was supposed to be presenting. Probably because my, some of my preparation maybe lacked at that time, but... Um, there was an uneasiness about standing up in front of people and presenting something as information that you've studied and learned when you don't really feel that confident about it or that um, uh, sharp in it. And in a lot of ways, this new sermon series that we're starting feels the same way for me. We're going to take the next three months and study on prayer. And I stand before you today much more as a student than I do as a teacher. Um, I come convinced and convicted of the promises that God has given us about prayer, but long to experience a better prayer life with you. And as we start on a series of prayer today, I want to tell you, man, I need this just as much as a student as I do as a teacher this very moment. I want to pray more as a person, as a Christian. I want to pray better. I want to saturate my life in prayer in a way that is influential and impactful and God has made some serious promises to people who live a life of prayer. And I want all of us to walk into that together. And so we're doing this series of prayer, Lord, teach us to pray, for the next three months for two reasons. The first one is this. I want all of us as a body of people to be praying people. But praying is hard. Praying is challenging. It's difficult. Prayer is hard not because the mechanics are difficult, but because God is holy and prayer is when you become intimate with God. Do you understand that? Most people who are Christians find prayer to be, at least at the beginning of their Christian walk, a challenging thing to get used to doing. And it's hard not because the mechanics are confusing. It's hard because it's the place where you meet God himself and he's holy and we are not. Intimacy is difficult regardless of who you're coming close to. And prayer is the moment that we practice intimacy with God. And that's just a difficult thing to do. So if you've come today and you hear that I'm starting to preach and teach about prayer and you go, 
oh man, I struggle with prayer. It's difficult. Let me first tell you that's normal. You're not an abnormal Christian if prayer is hard for you or it's difficult or it's not something that is easy for you to do. Hopefully, by the time we work through some of this, it will become easier for you. The second reason I want us to study prayer is this. In April and May, our elders facilitated some conversations with members wanting to hear about, hear your feedback, hear information from you. And at the heart of those conversations, many of you participated in them, at the heart of those conversations is a desire to be the congregation of God's people that He wants us to be, to its fullest, that He wants us to be. To not be people who just settle for routine religious behavior, but to be calling upon God to have His presence among us, alive in us, being everything, nothing short of all that He wants us to be. We want that here. We want to live on the front lines of faith, not in the back room of just routine. We want to see people converted to Jesus Christ from dead to alive, lost and found. We want to see that happen. We want to see people here coming more and more like Jesus Christ in their daily walk, actually changing. We want to see people being sent out from us as missionaries, teachers, preachers. We want to see people going and doing the work of the Lord. And we want the work of the Lord to be strengthened in its foundations here at home. And we believe that as a member here, you want that too. And we're sure you have thoughts about that. And that's really why the elders wanted to hear from you. But let me tell you something. The elders' thoughts, the preacher's thoughts, the members' thoughts are not enough. Thinking about church is not enough. We need direction and presence of God himself. There are a lot of principles in Scripture that tell us exactly what the church is supposed to do. We go to the Scriptures constantly here. We, we look at them. We want to study them. We want to be what the church is designed to be as we see in Scripture. And we learn from these principles and try to practice them. We pour over them constantly. But there are also a lot of decisions that have to be made, a lot of thoughts about church that have to be made that require local, contemporary context that we have to make decisions about. Things as simple as like, how many people can you put inside of a building? And what do you do about that? Things more complex like, how do you raise up new leaders? And how do you train people to do that? We, we want to think about that and do that in an effective way. And so here's what we're asking you to do. This is very specific, okay? Turn with me to Colossians chapter 1. It'll be on the screen if you don't have your Bible before you. But here's what we're going to ask you to do as a member of this body here in this Pickerington. We're going to ask you for the next 90 days to pray every day. A simple, clear prayer for the congregation here in Pickerington. As a member of this body, we believe that if all of us come together and pray to bring ourselves to bow before God and pray simple words like I'm giving you an example here from Colossians chapter 1. Listen to this prayer that Paul prays for the church. When he says, and so from the day we heard that they became believers, we have not ceased to pray for you. And here's what they prayed about. Here's what Paul prayed for the church and Colossae to have. And here's what I'm asking you to be prayerful about for us as well. We have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and in all spiritual wisdom and understanding 
so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. May you be strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you, us, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. That's a big prayer. Three verses. Simple, but big. Do you think that you could, for the next 90 days, put a reminder in your phone or in your notebook, put a bookmark in this page in your Bible, or maybe take a screenshot on your phone, this little passage here. Could you, for 90 days, once a day, come before the throne of God and say, God, the congregation that I belong to in Pickerington wants to live and be everything you want us to be. And we're going to pray this, that we ask to be filled with the knowledge of your will, God, that we want to have wisdom and understanding, not from men of flesh, but spiritual. God, would you help us to walk in a manner that's worthy of you, no one else. God, we want to be fully pleasing to you. We want to bear fruit in all the good works that we're doing. We don't want to just be busy. We want to bear fruit. And we want to increase in knowing you more and more. And God, we need your strength with your power according to your might to have endurance and patience and joy and to give thanks to you who have qualified us. That's the prayer. Do you think you could do that for us? Church, could you do that for us? Your elders, your preachers are going to pray this prayer for 90 days, starting today, okay? We're going to pray this together because we believe that the principles found in Scripture and penitent, humble saints, when they come before the throne, can be a restored body of believers and be a light in the world and be on the front lines of faith and see God work through us so that dead people come to life and Christians become more like Jesus. That's what we want. And that's what we want to hopefully let God work through us. So I brought you to the story of Jesus' life in Luke chapter 11 for this reason. Because prayer is hard. Prayer is difficult. That's why Paul said that you need to labor in prayer. He knew it. Prayer is a challenging thing. It's a discipline. It requires strength, endurance, and effort. It requires for us to build out margin in our life to actually have space to pray to God, to be open to Him. You see, prayer is not our time in the locker room getting ready for the game. Prayer is the hard work of the game. It's the effort of being a believer in Jesus Christ. And here we see the disciples of Jesus Christ themselves needed help on prayer. These are the guys that were hanging out with Jesus on a daily basis, that were walking with the Son of God, that were learning from the Master, and they come to Jesus and say, hey, do you think you could help us pray? We need help praying. Lord, teach us to pray. And Jesus did that for him. I find it interesting that Jesus prayed himself. Just for a moment, pause. Isn't it kind of remarkable that Jesus had to pray? If he is who he says he was, the Son of God, God himself who's come in the flesh, Jesus, his whole life was involved in prayer. When he had to make a big decision, he prayed, what apostles should I pick? When he was grieving over the loss of John, he went away and prayed. When he was dealing with challenges and difficulty in his life, he prayed. When he needed strength to do the will of God, he prayed. 
when he had people close to him in his life that were going to go through something challenging like Peter when he was going to face the temptations at the end of Jesus' life. Jesus said, I have prayed for you, Peter. I've prayed for you. Jesus, his whole life revolved around praying and he had a good life. And these disciples looked at it and they said, I want that too. So will you teach us, Jesus, to pray? And his response is interesting. It's not what you would expect. And so I'm going to bring you to this passage. And if you got one of the outlines, some of you use the outlines that I make for you, you're going to see the first evidence of prayer. Is I make those early in the week typically. And then I prayed a lot about this. And I said, you know what, we're doing too much. So the bottom two-thirds of that we're not going to do today, okay? We're just doing the first part um, uh, to, because I wanted to take time to make sure you understood this. So when these guys said to Jesus in chapter 11, Lord, would you teach us how to pray? Look what Jesus does. Starting in verse 2, he says, when you pray, teach us to pray. And then he says, when you pray. You see, when they asked Jesus, teach us to pray, he gave them some content. It's interesting that he didn't give them mechanics. He gave them substance. As I mentioned before, the mechanics of prayer are not really that difficult. It's quieting yourself, bowing your head, whatever you do, but it really is just bringing petition and praise and words and questions and wondering to somebody else. That's what prayer really is. And prayer is really, as a believer, more about substance than it really is about your mechanics. Knowing what to say when we pray is oftentimes the most difficult thing. We create dry spells in our life with prayer because we lose really what we should be praying about. And so when these guys say, Jesus, will you teach us to pray? When the disciples wanted to know how to pray, Jesus did this. He gave them his word. And here's why this is important. He gave them actual content on what to pray. So when they said, hey, Jesus, will you teach us how to pray? He didn't say, well, listen, okay, go to this place or that place, get down on one knee or two knees, fold your hands this way, say these. He gave them actual words to pray, real material, real substance. He wanted them to use these words like a guide, a teacher, to train them in the life of prayer. Now, he didn't say this was something to be recited without thought, that if you just uh, you know, produce this like some sort of incantation that God will just show up and you don't really have to think about it. That's not what he was saying. It's not something just to be recited, but this is a guide into the depth of prayer. You see, here's the point. One of the best ways to learn how to pray is to use the words of God as prayer. That's what Jesus was teaching them. He was teaching them to use his words as their words to guide them into what prayer is. Let me show you as an example, Psalm 23. Some of you may have Psalm 23 memorized, maybe not. It's a great one to memorize. But it begins like this. Psalm 23 says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Right? It keeps going. You guys know this one? Okay, let's read it together. Psalm 23. And I want to show you how you can turn Psalm 23 into a prayer. So if you don't have it, put it in front of you. David says this, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. 
my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. One of the best ways you can learn how to pray is to take some, a passage like this. Let me just give you the beginning where he says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. That's David's words when he was writing this down. But you can turn that into a prayer. God, would you please today be my shepherd? That means that I'm your sheep and I follow you and you're my guide. That I want to go where you go and not go where you don't go. That I'm willing to follow the places you lead me to and not go to the places you don't want me to be. And Lord, when you are my shepherd, I shall not want. Meaning when I have you guiding my life, I've got everything I need. Do you see how the words of God can lead you into really effective prayer? And that's really what Jesus is doing when he gives them his word there in Luke chapter 11. When he says, okay, you want to learn how to pray? Let me give you some good content to start praying to see how good prayer can be. You see, our prayers are dry sometimes because we use really crummy content. It usually comes from us and it lacks some real depth and it lacks some guide. And so he's, what he's trying to do is show us. And when we pray scripture, here's what we're reminded. Let me show you what Jesus did in Luke chapter 11. The first thing you're reminded of, of when you use scripture as prayer is the position that you are in. Jesus starts this way. He says, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Father in heaven. Scripture is constantly reminding us that we are the dependent being and God is the sustaining being. He is the Father. He is the one in heaven. Different passages show us over and over a God who is at times intimate like a father. He's close to us. He's near to us. He knows us, but also reminds us at certain times that he's transcendent, that he's big, that he's heavenly father. And what he's trying to get around to is reminding us over and over from scripture, the position that we are in every day, whether we know it or not, that we have a father in heaven who is near and intimate to us, who knows us well, but also has power and ability to do something. So when you come to God in prayer, you can say, God, I know you know. You're close to me. You're near to me. You hurt when I hurt. You rejoice when I rejoice. You care about me. You want what's best for me because you're a father, but you're also heavenly. You have power and dominion and ability. And so when I bring things to you, I know that you can get things done. It reminds you of the position you're in. When we pray scripture, it also shows us the priorities we're supposed to have. You notice he says there, Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Then he says, your kingdom come, your will be done. Priorities. You see, prayer is not just a wishing well for the believer. It's not this untapped resource of wealth that we just get to indulge in and do whatever we want with. That's not really what prayer is about. Prayer is not just some get out of jail free card. It's not just some rubbing the, you know, for the genie to pop up and give us wishes. Prayer is really about coming closer to the priorities that God has for us you see i think prayer becomes a dry desert for us when all we do is bring our wishes that god has bigger plans for that he doesn't really want to deal with it becomes dry for us and when we pray scripture when you come to scripture and you pray scripture it forces you out of yourself and into a bigger purpose into a bigger story when all we do is pray our story and our world and our vision and our sight we stay inside of our little world but when you come to Scripture and you pray Scripture, it brings you out of yourself and into a bigger and better will to participate in. Jesus is not just praying, telling us to pray for God's will to be done in some generic sense. Like, that's a sentence we say, God, I just want your will to be done. Okay, see you later. 
What he's saying is, pray, God, how can I live your will in my life right now? It's not a generic asking of God to do his will. I've got a spoiler alert for you. God is going to do his will. His will will be done. His word will not return void. So you don't have to tell God or remind God to do his will. He's going to do it. This prayer is to lead you into, God, I've got a lot of desires, a lot of plans, a lot of ideas. I've got a will. Remind me to submit that to yours. There's not a will that's greater or better for me. Prayer is as much about God changing our mind as it is about us changing God's mind. He wants to align our priorities in prayer to his priorities, not only because they're right, but because they're good. Lastly, praying the scriptures reminds us the petitions we're supposed to bring, what we're supposed to ask him for. You notice he says, um, give us our daily bread, forgive us as we forgive, and lead us not into temptation. You see, he's asking for very simple things here. He's teaching you what to really ask for. Daily provisions is the first one. Give us our day, this day our daily bread. That's so hard for us to reconcile in this culture where we live in abundance and comfort, where we think about not just tomorrow, but not even next month, but next year or the end of our life. We think about provisions that long, and Jesus reminds us that in this moment today, it all could be gone. We in this culture have grown such a trust in our wealth that we think with financial security, tomorrow is okay. And with the blink of an eye, it could be gone. Give us this day our daily bread. To the end of this day, God, give me the substance I need to survive. And when you pray that way, all of a sudden it starts shaping you, changing you. You stop living with assumptions like God owes me a 401k. You stop living with entitlements like I was born for comfort, not convictions. You start living with gratitude when you think, all I want is today, God. Take care of me. You see, he doesn't just give us today, but he also tells us to work through relational health. That's what matters, is the relationships we have in life. We pray so much about some things that are inanimate. He tells us to be serious about our relationships. He says, God, forgive us as we forgive other people. He's talking about relational health. Relational health with God, first of all. God, I need your grace, your forgiveness, your pardon, because I want to be united with you. And as you give me forgiveness, God, would you also allow me to be a person that forgives other people, that lets things go, that absorbs pain, that doesn't give retribution for every little wrong that I face, because guess what? Tomorrow, you're probably going to go through 10, 12, 15, or 20 wrongs. And if you feel like you have to live every day finding justice for every little one of those things, you're going to go insane. He says, God, remind me how much I've forgiven so I can be a person who forgives. He's giving you relational health. And lastly, he's giving you direction, guidance. Lead us not into temptation. Deliver us from the evil one. God, would you open doors? Would you close doors? You notice he doesn't say, God, tell me what the end result of today or this week or this month is going to be. He doesn't tell you the exact destination always, but he does say, pray for guidance, pray for direction. You see, we oftentimes think that we will have peace when we have all the answers. How's this going to go? Where am I going to be? What am I going to get? Tell me what the end is going to be, God, and we think we'll have peace when we have answers. The Bible says you don't have peace when you have answers. You have peace when you have presence, the presence of God. Walk with me, lead me, shepherd me, guide me. The Bible promises a peace that passes is greater than what you understand. 
if you walk with the presence of God. So Jesus shows us here the petitions to bring. This day, God, take care of me. Help me to be okay today. Help me to have relational health with you, with myself, with others. And guide me as I walk in this life. Jesus himself was constantly reminded of these three principles in his prayer life. He knew his position. He said, I can do nothing without the Father. Jesus Christ himself said, I can't do a thing without God. How could we? He knew his priorities. He said, I have come to do the will of God for my life and no other will. And he brought petitions to the Father. Show me who to pick as an apostle. Heal my hurting heart. Father, help me to be forgiving of people. God, lead me in my life. Show me where to go. Where did Jesus learn all of that? When he was born, did he just have some spiritual insight to know how to pray exactly like this? No. I don't know all the things that Jesus knows, but I do know this. He did what every one of us in this room could do, and that is learn the scriptures and learn how to pray them. How do I know that Jesus learned how to pray the scriptures? Well, there's this moment at the end of his life. He's hanging on the cross. And the Bible records a few statements of Jesus at the end of his life when he's hanging on the cross. And there's one in particular. He cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And where did Jesus get those exact words? From the very scriptures themselves. You see, in that moment when Jesus cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He wasn't asking that question in confusion. It wasn't just this instantaneous response like, what is going on here? He was grabbing words ancient words of scripture and applying them to his very moment of his life and he had learned psalm 22 he had prayed psalm 22 he had absorbed psalm 22 and he said my god my god why are you why have you forsaken me And he was letting scripture remind him that this was the plan of god and the plan for his life his death his resurrection all of that was planned and he was participating in that that very scripture that very prayer that very death Jesus was praying, and he was understanding not only his position with God, his priorities in life, but the petition he was bringing, he got that from Scripture. And when we see him pray that, it doesn't just teach us how to pray. It tells us why we're allowed to pray. You see, in that one moment on the cross when Jesus hung there and he cried out, Psalm 22, verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus was enduring the punishment, the curse for sin. And the question comes from this very fact, hey, I haven't sinned, God. I don't deserve this death. And that's a right statement for Jesus to make. He lived a life that was not worthy to die, but in that moment he was dying because of stepping in for the punishment of sin. And when he quoted Psalm 22 on the cross, he was not just telling us, here's how to pray. He was saying, here's why you're allowed to pray now. Because I experienced the death of a sinner so that you could experience the connection of the righteous. You and I are now in Jesus Christ. If we come into him forgiven, reconciled to God. That's why when we pray, we say, in Jesus' name. It is not just some repetition. We are saying as we come before the throne, I can't stand here and say a word to you unless I come to you in the name of the one who saves me. Because without him, I can't speak to you. You see, to see Jesus and to know Jesus and to believe in Jesus and turn to Jesus, to become one with Jesus, is to die to our sinful self and be made alive in him so that we can be people who not just pray, but pray for his will to be done in our life. I know this one thing. It is God's will for you to be a believer in Jesus Christ, 
to repent of sin, to confess your faith in him, to be baptized into Jesus Christ, to be forgiven and to be one with him. And if that's what you need to do today, if you need to become a Christian or to become closer to God, that's his will for you. Let's take that step. Let's stand and let's sing.